This is Circulating Ideas. I'm Steve Thomas. My guest today is Carrie Rogers Whitehead. She is the CEO of Digital Responsibility and the author of Serving Teens and Adults on the Autism Spectrum, a Guide for Libraries. Circulating Ideas is brought to you with support from listeners just like you. Find out how you can help support the show by going to circulatingideas.com slash support. Gary, welcome to the show. Glad to, glad to be here, Steve. Um, I do want to start out how kind of how you start out the book. Um, that we're going to talk a lot about um, people on the autism spectrum. And um, throughout the interview, like you do in the book, we're going to use person first language, like so a person with autism as opposed to an autistic person. Um, and I wanted to kind of start with that because um, you also talk about this in the book that there's a little bit of not, not controversy really, but I mean, just a little just different feelings about that in the autism community. Could you talk a little bit about, about that? Yeah. And I start off in the author's note in the book saying, being very clear, I'm not on the autism spectrum. And there's a hashtag that's used a lot because there is a lot of people that are not on the spectrum that speak for or advocate for, and um, they, they use actually autistic. So I'm not hashtag actually autistic. But um, I learned a lot and I interviewed a lot of people for the book that are on the spectrum, teens and adults with autism that use the library or work for the library. And I learned a lot about people first versus identity first language. So in, let's say in medical and official publications, you'll use people first language. So a person with autism, um, they're, that, that label is secondary. But um, a lot of people, that's their identity. Like I am an autistic person, which is identity first. So I would ask people, and this is just like anything else, like how do you want to be referred to? She, he, they, how do you want to be referred to? And there are a few people in the book that wanted the people first language, and there are other people that wanted identity first language, and they could make that choice. So there's a bit of back and forth in the book and something that librarians and have to deal with, you know, how do you want to be referred to and let them decide? <laughs> yeah, and that obviously applies broadly of just, you know, everybody should sort of that platinum rule of treat people as they want to be treated. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, so um, what I wanted to start kind of to back up from there, I just want to give that little thing up front. Um, but what, what attracted you to library work in the first place? Like what kind of experience did you have with libraries early on? Yeah, so I have worked a uh, my first library job was at a military-based library, and then I worked briefly for Houston Public Library, but I spent most of my career in Salt Lake County Library, youth services, teen services, and um, left there in late 2016 to start my company, and I was over teen services. So teen services is a big thing that I would do, and I'll, I'll be honest, Steve, I was a biochem major <laughs> in school. I didn't necessarily go into this, but um, just like many other students through the years, um, organic chemistry uh, taught me that I really shouldn't be in biochem. <laughs> so, but um, I always loved to read and, and, and libraries were something I loved growing up. I was constantly in them. And so I made a big switch from biochem, uh, changing my, my degree, and then went on um, from there. And I've been lucky to just work in libraries off, of, you know, since about 2004 is when I first started my library job. Okay. Um, so like you said, you did um, move on to start your own company. Um, that, that's digital responsibility. And that's obviously that's responsibility for people. It's kind of hard to explain on audio. <laughs> um, can you talk a little bit about um, why you wanted to start that 
um, your own company like that? Uh, so we're a digital citizenship education provider. So we've taught tens of thousands of students around uh, my state and, and we also teach educators around the world, like how to teach digital citizenship. I wrote a book on that in 2019 um, about teaching digital citizenship. I was noticing the gap as a library, uh, a librarian. And I tell the story in that teaching digital citizenship book is that I went to the second annual digital citizenship summit. It was at Twitter. And I was talking to people and I actually asked this as a panelist. I'm like, who has a library background? And there was a significant amount of people that are like, yeah, I've been doing digital citizenship before this whole thing was cool. And and I felt like that as a librarian, I had been in this space for a while and I was looking around at the market and, and what people were doing in this space. And I felt like it was, there were gaps, it was missing and I wanted to fill those gaps. And so I left my wonderful job, which I loved um, in 2016 and started digital responsibility. I still do library consultant work. This is my second book for libraries and I love, I'm always a librarian, but it's great that I get to do some library stuff like your media literacy, your communication, you're working directly with young people, but I also get to get to do the other things too. <laughs> Well, what what led you um, to have focused part of your work on working with and serving the autism community? Yeah, so that was started when I was a youth services librarian and I was doing uh, story times regularly. Um, and I had uh, a patron, this was back in 2010, who, you know, the, 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 her, her children were struggling in, in the format and it was just becoming kind of an issue. And I just kind of, it's hard. It's hard as a librarian because you're balancing a lot of different needs um, from a variety of different people. And when you have a large group of like 30 preschoolers, behavior management is an issue, like keeping it all together. So I kind of had a, a set aside with her. Um, this is like, yeah, uh, back end of, yeah, 2009, 2010. And she started crying. I remember she's like, my, my boys have autism. I'm sorry. And I was like, no, 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 don't cry. But like, she really, really wanted to bring them to story time. But how we were doing traditional story time just wasn't working. So that's kind of when I started on that journey. And I, and I, uh, be honest, I didn't know anything. I, I Googled what autism and like the first search result was Jenny McCarthy. So that was my first introduction <laughs> to this. Um, uh, but not the I, best introduction. I, no, not the best introduction. <laughs> It was anti-vax and Jenny McCarthy is when I uh, first started researching it. So I kind of got off the internet and I had a ton of informational interviews. Um, and that's kind of what uh, got me started with the sensory story time in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the, that, that's the important thing, I think, is actually connecting with people who um, who have autism or parents of children with autism. Like you, you need to know a kind of firsthand. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, as you talk about in the book, too, you wanted to focus the book more on people with autism who are struggling. So there are people who can live independently and do, do everything that they need to do. Um, but you're, you're talking more about people who are struggling. Can you, can you talk a little bit about what those struggles are? Yeah. So, and I, I talk about the demographics a bit in, in the book is that we've had increased uh, numbers of diagnosis of individuals on the spectrum um, over the years. And so, there was a big push like a 10, 15 years ago of getting these diagnostic tools with the DSM-5 and it kind of changed these definitions, but those kids are aging. So there's been a lot of focus, which is wonderful. And we need to keep doing that on the sensory story time in the library world. 
but as they age, there's less and less services for them, particularly when they hit 21, because there's federal funding um, for schools. They get their individualized education plan. They have more supports. But what happens is some of them will never be able to mainstream. Um, there's high unemployment rates for individuals with autism. Um, they, they struggle with transportation issues, communication, workplaces in college can be difficult. So we have this cohort that um, they, they haven't been able to mainstream. They're just, they're just, they're different. And they hit 21 and all of a sudden the services are not always there. So that's what I wanted to really focus on the book. I have a whole chapter on like workplace development and that kind of work because libraries have a really crucial part to play um, with this population because they can help with all this patchwork of services, connect them, employ them, use them as volunteers, and, and really be that, um, that central place in that, that maybe see some wraparound services um, that they used to have before they aged out. Right. Um, and, and that's obviously a serious enough issue that they even have, and you mentioned this in the book, the, the terminology for it, it's the, it's the cliff <laughs> that you yeah. fall off of, and it just benefits completely change at that point. Mm -hmm. You do. They, and that's a struggle a lot for parents that I, I interviewed some parents for this is that you're dealing with like guardianship, you're dealing with legal matters, transportation matters, respite care, health issues, how do I get them a doctor, all of this thing. And, and you have to just kind of like do a lot of searching on your own. And it, and it can be very difficult, especially with the funding sources, how that's attached. Well, and obviously, we, we want people with autism to be able to live their own lives the way they want to live them. But you also mentioned that um, if a person who's struggling with this gets married, they can lose their benefits as well because then the, the spouse is the one now who they make too much money basically now. Yeah. Yeah. To qualify for like social security and other SSDI benefits and other or Medicaid or some of these issues, there's, there's a, there's money, there's money attached to this, this kind of thing. And it's a, it's an issue. And like, so I focus the book on this end of the spectrum, but I try to acknowledge that there's, it is a spectrum and there's a lot of people out there, but People that maybe have it, you know, mildly, you know, for lack of a better word, they go into a library, you probably won't even know. I mean, you might not even know that there's any issues because they, they don't look different. They might not act different. They've had maybe a whole entire school career of occupational therapy, speech therapy, and they've mainstreamed, they've integrated. And I'm not saying that they don't have issues, but those issues might not manifest in a library setting. Um, so the ones that, you know, they're, they're just different. They're on a different part of the spectrum. Those issues might manifest more and then that's, they might need more supports and services. Um, so obviously library staff have to be flexible and ready to deal with um, any patron in front of them. I mean, no, no patron is any, 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 any the same as the other one. Um, but are there things that um, library staff um, can keep in mind when, you know, you sort of, you've identified however, that this um, person has autism, uh, whether it's a child or a teen or an adult, um, sometimes they'll just let you know even. Um, mm -hmm. um, are there any special considerations that staff should keep in mind as far as you know, communication and things like that? Yeah, I have a chapter in the book that talks a little bit about communication because uh, more, more speaking literally, getting up, and these are things that you should be doing anyways, like being direct, getting up and showing them where things are not making assumptions, but not using as much idioms, slang, 
direct speaking language there. Um, I interviewed this amazing woman, I just referred to her as Jay in the book, who was a library worker who talked a lot about sensory sensitivities at the workplace. So that could be anything from brighter lights, or like the fluorescent lights that make all this noise, um, to sounds to all of this and it's and it's hard because a library is a, a public library is a public place and everyone can be in there and i was in a library that was not quiet it was rarely quiet <laughs> um so balancing that quiet and those sensory sensitivities um for those with autism is a big thing and things that you don't even notice they could be a big problem to someone else so maybe having someone walk through the program space or walk through the library that on the spectrum they might be able to identify things that you aren't even aware of that could be a potential issue yeah i mean that, that's the importance of having uh, an inclusive environment uh, not only for people with autism but just everybody in general it, it makes it more available to everybody <laughs> in a better space for everyone um, and then you can also provide these special spaces like you said maybe you have a quiet room in your library and you keep the lights maybe a little dimmer in there and so it's a space that someone could go if they needed um, those kind of that, that kind of um, action from the library yeah definitely and we, we all could use a quiet space public libraries are not quiet spaces <laughs> no. anymore Oh, and, and we got to keep that in mind. I'm not saying like kick out the children, but there, there's some adaptations that could be done. When I would run um, programs, I would always have a quiet space in the program room that had like weighted blankets and other books and just taking a break. Mm -hmm. We all need a break. Well, you said you, you got started because you're working with um, teens. Um, going through puberty obviously is hard for any teenager <laughs> and they all go through um, lots of issues like um, just just well the, the hormones and things from puberty physically but bullying also is a concern for um a, a lot of children but it's particularly people who are are seen as weak um or different more different and so i a lot of um people in the autism spectrum might be more targeted for this kind of thing um so uh, what what can the library or library staff do to cater um their programs and services to um teens specifically right now, and we can talk about adults in a little bit. Yeah, and, and, and libraries should continue doing whatever they're doing with bullying. And, and I know libraries typically have an anti-bullying policy. Part of the issue, and this happened one time uh, with the teen that was playing computers, is that the other, the other kids were kind of teasing and bullying, and he didn't get it. Like, he didn't understand that they were teasing and bullying. And that's a difficult situation, but if you're someone on the spectrum communication or picking up on these slangs and jokes might be difficult. So in that situation, I pulled the other boys aside. And I'm like, I know what you're doing, you know, but it was funny for them because they didn't, because it was like a joke because the, he was the butt of the joke, right? right, right. So, so keeping that in mind that the, they might not complain about bullying because they don't even know it's bullying mm -hmm. and being a little more aware of what's happening out there. But with teens in particular, they want to be, around their peers. And this boy wanted to be with other kids his age and play games. And you know what? He was kind of having a good time not getting it. I mean, does that, it, yeah. so I'm not saying separate them. They need to be around their peers, but maybe they could just be in an observer role or, or just watching it a little more carefully um, as they interact with their peers. 
Yeah. And like you said, keep, keep an eye on the other kids <laughs> to make sure there's everybody's interacting um, how you want them to act. Because most libraries do have like codes of conduct or things like that that don't allow, like you said, bullying. And like, that's yeah. just. And the kids were like, oh, he thinks it's funny. It's a joke. And I'm like, is it a joke? You know, like be, be honest here. Right. right? right. I didn't tell the kid that, hey, they're bullying you. Because I didn't feel like that was effective or anything there. It was targeting those kids. Yeah. yeah. How, how you how you handle it. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes, I mean, th- throwing a word into their face, when if you can say you are bullying him, they'd be like, oh, you know, we, we were just joking around is what they think yeah, in their head. Yeah. And then they, and all of a sudden, maybe you may made them think <laughs> a little bit more. Oh, wait, wait a second. Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> teenagers, obviously their brains are still <laughs> forming and <laughs> they don't always yeah. think they have the best all judgment. All of them are. <laughs> yes. Yes. So that's, that's what I mean. Every, every teenager. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you also, you mentioned earlier some um, employment concerns. Um, can you talk a little about what, what um, people with autism have to um, work through to well, get jobs and stay in jobs and things like that? Yeah, so they, how, we, how we've set up like hiring is not always conducive to someone who struggles with communication or, or, or other things. Because we have an interview where you have to communicate and you could be the best person out of that job, but you could interview not badly and, 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 or stumble or all of this kind of stuff. And that, that per, you might be perceived as that person doesn't get it. So we need to be a little more adaptive in our interviews and also um, recruitment. So I wrote about a number of partnerships. So every state should have like a department of workforce services and other kind of agencies that there are financial incentives and other training incentives to get into individuals who may have disabilities um, into the workplace. So doing a lot of partnerships, working with them, reevaluating your hiring process. I told a story in the book of a individual on the spectrum who was uh, shelving and the library gave him a written test, which that was a struggle because of like mobility and other issues. But when they actually told him to shelve the books, he was brilliant, didn't miss anything. So are we really are we engaging in these tests or other types of interview? And this is, this is federal law. You need to make interview um, adapted to everyone, but reevaluating how we're interviewing everyone. Are we missing some individuals? Are we not recruiting from these populations um, by not partnering or not working? Because they can advertise for library positions and re- are we being inclusive in our hiring practices? Yeah, that's, that's a thing. Yeah, we, you can look through your own hiring process to see um, are you being open to these kinds of things? Because you may think even, oh, well, we're an inclusive environment, but really take the time to read through it and um, make sure that you, um, the way you advertise the positions, um, and then also like, like you said, the way you interview can be completely different. Mm-hmm. And you can work with agencies, send them the job description and they can help recruit for you. So it doesn't have to necessarily be a lot of work that a library has to do to reach out beyond, you know, able populations. Um, they just, you know, send it to someone else. They'll help you. And they will not only help you, they can help train. They can help prep the person for the interview. They can evaluate how your own practices. You can have free outside government resources to help you. They want to help employers and hire more individuals with, on the spectrum. So, so it, it's out there. Just got to utilize it. Yeah. And, and that's one of the important things is that libraries, you know, need to remember that they're part of a community and you don't have to do everything yourself. You just, what, what libraries need, uh, need to know is where do I go to get that help? Like sometimes, you know, coming to the library is not the right answer to get tax 
advice. <laughs> We're not going to give that to you, but I should be able to advise you somewhere that you could go to, well, those people can give you tax advice or these people can help you with your legal issues. And I can't read that contract and tell you if it's, <laughs> if it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the same thing here. If you're, if you're looking to make your, if you're looking to make your policies and your hiring practices more inclusive, maybe bring in a different agency that can work. Help yeah. You with that. Yeah. We don't do everything on our own. Although libraries kind of do everything, but we really don't have to. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and also, not, not just employment, but you talk a little bit about how you can encourage uh, teens and adults to volunteer at the library and how to make the, the library a welcoming place for them there, too. Yeah, and I, I interviewed um, some professionals who work in this area. Like, how can we make some reasonable accommodations for people who volunteer? Can we just be a little more sometimes flexible? Can we uh, maybe let them wear noise canceling headphones in certain areas? Can we um, help them with transportation to volunteer? So there's, this, if we can provide a little more flexibility, they can be a wonderful um, volunteer, um, especially if they're already in the community, they care about the library, they're, they're amazing. So it's just, it's a bit of that, let's just be a little more flexible. Let's just like adjust our policies a, a, a bit here. And that can help not only those on the spectrum, but everyone um, too, and look at it a different way. <laughs> Uh, and also adjustments, you, you mentioned a few things about how to look at your collection as well. Can you talk about how, how, what ways you can make, be looking at your, to make a more inclusive collection? Yeah, so I wrote a lot of book recommendations in, in the book, and I separated them by books who are written by someone on the spectrum and books who are written by an outside person. And I think that we can do better about collecting books that someone who is hashtag actually autistic. Because there is a, I guess, a genre um, of, of, of books and by, by mothers or parents or professionals talking about someone with autism, but maybe we can get some of those other types of books of hearing their voice. And there's more of those than there used to be like a decade ago, and libraries can, can um, you know, help collect some of those. One of my favorites, and I, I'm forgetting the, how to pronounce the author's name, is The Reason I Jump. So it was a young man that talks about, he's on the spectrum that speaks to his experience. And I think we need more of those books in our collections and we can do better at curating that. Uh, and then uh, obviously libraries are moving into technology a lot more um, and we need to keep this in mind when <laughs> implementing technology as well. Um, and there's special adaptive technology that we can have to especially um, help people. Can you talk a little bit about those kind of concerns and how we can overcome them? Yeah, so I have a chapter in the book just on technology, on technology and programs and technologies you're saying in, a, in adaptive resources. Uh, libraries have to follow ADA rules. If, if libraries are public services. If someone cannot use your website, you are limiting a public service to a citizen in your community. So there's a legal aspect to this too. Um, but libraries, we love, we love our information and our links. I remember years ago when a uh, library I worked to, it was like pages and pages of links, right? But some of these uh, links and these navigation pieces in our, in our libraries are not very user-friendly for anyone, particularly for someone um, with autism. Mobility can be an issue. Some of our drop-down menus, some of our colors that we use, some of the font. We can also be better about things like having screen readers or other types of plugins that can make it easier to navigate. So that's something that not everyone thinks about, but you're a library who are serving the public. And if everyone can't use your website, then you're not really serving the public. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can use just more imagery and things like that. So people don't have to Icons. read long to use paragraphs. Yeah. And... 
Yeah, making sure the contrast between the colors. Universal uh, design is, is kind of UDL, I think it's what they refer to. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how can we improve? And, and there are a lot of trainings and software that can help. There's more ever than before to help with this. So we can, we can definitely do better. Yeah, I, I think that applies also just to like the physical signage and stuff in your building needs mm-hmm. to be clear and inclusive for everybody as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, can you talk about, so we've talked about all these different ways that we can work with them. Um, some examples of programs, maybe first um, that you've done with teens and then uh, some that you've done with adults. Yeah, so um, I started, I mentioned I started with Sensory Storytime, but my little kids were growing up and I was getting more needs. I, I did a public kind of survey of a lot of the partners. I ran a mailing list for years of like, what type of services would you like for young adults, you know, and older, older people? And the overwhelming response is we would like something. There's nothing. There was, there was not much out there. So I moved over from a sensory story time to kind of more of an after school program type, um, type program. And so um, that was, I, I, when I talked to some special ed teachers, they told me there were, you know, big things, teamworks, Teamwork and transitions. Transitions are huge to be able to move from one activity to the other activity. So when I kind of worked with the older population, I focused a lot on that. How can I have encouraged more socialization between the groups and how can I encourage more transitions? So I kind of set it up like different stations based on a theme. And then we had an after, um, you know, a play social time after. Um, So I kind of adjusted it. So that is one thing that we, we need to focus on. How can we encourage some of these social skills is a big thing. How can we encourage teamwork, working together, interaction? How can we encourage transitions? And as you also get older, other things that you can focus on for teens and adults are things like self-advocacy. How can they advocate for themselves, navigate resources, find things? That's another big issue that they're dealing with. And also I wrote in the book something that is missing along with more services for older um, individuals on the spectrum is caregiver support. Um, re- not like exactly respite care, but do they have, can you do a support group? How are you serving this ecosystem around this individual on the spectrum? Because there's a lot of people supporting this person and they might not have access to services or information that they need to. Um, and then uh, helpfully at the end of the book, if people want to get the book, you list a lot of example programs that they could, that they could run and kind of the, what you need to run those programs. And Yes, I have a grab bag of lots of different ideas. Um, some that I've done, some that I've adapted, some that I saw, wow, this would be cool <laughs> in there with less, like kind of like, here's the materials, here's the steps to do it. Here's, here's all you need to do in a program. I tried to create some like adaptive program packages that people can just take and try out <laughs> in their own way. <laughs> um, so um, to, to kind of wrap up and get, get everything kind of together, what, 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 what really, what made you want to write this book in the first place? Like what drove you to think that, that this was something that was needed in the library world? Well, well, ever since I left, I've continued writing, and, and even with digital responsibility, I work with um, people on the spectrum, so I've continued that work. Um, so I, I was reached out to by Libraries Unlimited, who had read some of that work, and I told them, I said, I'm not a librarian anymore, but, there, but I guess there's such a dearth of programs and services for this population that they really wanted me to write the book. So I like, I, I love it. So I had all the contacts and people I worked with for years and brought them all in, and, and I'm excited to help other libraries 
um, expand their work with this growing demographic who is falling off the cliff, who does need these services and libraries and are in a prime place to really help and make a difference. So I hope that people who can read the book get some practical ideas from someone who's done it that they can easily try in their library and, uh, and, and make it more inclusive. That's great. Um, I hope I hope lots of people get this book and read this book and are able to implement some of the things that you've, uh, or hopefully all of the things <laughs> that you mentioned in there, or at least, you know, take the steps forward, you know, to get, make the attempt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And hopefully you'll succeed. Um, yeah. learn, from, learn from me. I went from my back back in my days of googling um what autism was I, it's a little weird that i got here but i kept at it and i utilized so many people on the spectrum voices to make uh, this book happen so i am appreciative to them and i'm glad that their voices can be heard um so if people um listening to this wanted to follow up with you with anything that they heard here or after they read the book how could they get in touch with you so um, they can reach out, um, just do my digital responsibility address at Carrie, C-A-R-R-I-E, at R-E-S-P-O-N-S-Ability.net. That's R-E-S-P-O-N-S-Ability.net. Um, I have also trainings on Niche Academy on this topic, on serving individuals with autism. I go everything from what is autism to sensory story times to, to beyond just teens and adults, so people can take that training on their leisure, or they can reach out and talk to me more. Okay. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today, and I'm sure the listeners learned a lot. Thank you very much, Steve. Circulating Ideas is produced in the suburbs of Atlanta. Views expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of my place of work or the place of work of guests. For past interviews, visit circulatingideas.com and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or your podcast app of choice, and help others find the show by leaving a rating or a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at Circa Ideas or like the show's Facebook page. Theme music is by Pamela Klicka and the logo is by Shandy Fry. Thanks for listening and keep circulating your ideas.